Our series is going to be about the Holy Spirit. I like to begin every series with a justification for why we're going to spend any of God's time on this subject. You know, whenever we come to a new series to do, it's going to take up time. We're going to spend time reading and thinking and processing and wrestling. And I always like to think if there's only one more series we can do, what would we do? And right now, this is it. And so I'd like to explain to you why I think this is so important that we take on this series. The first point is, I think it's true that many of us have never really considered the role of the Holy Spirit in our life. We might have heard about it. We might have been told that we need to somehow experience the Holy Spirit. But many of us have not stopped to even really think about it, to look at the verses that describe this life in the Holy Spirit. Actually, to go even a step further and consider or imagine what it would be like to actually be spirit-empowered. Probably it's because most of us just know that it's something we should do. We don't really understand it much. So we just kind of limp along. I think that's probably a good word. We kind of limp along without the power that's available through the Spirit. Second point, I think the Holy Spirit is the least understood person of God. You know, we might just tacitly assent to the idea, yes, right, God, one, three persons, one. And we have a pretty good understanding of the Father. We have a fairly good understanding of the Son. We use those terms, but when we come to the Holy Spirit, we just go, and he's one of the three, let's just move on. <laughs> if I stop to ask you directly, which I will a little bit later, so start thinking, how do you experience the Holy Spirit in your life? How do you experience the person of the Holy Spirit in your life? Not just God encompassing all three, but do you experience the Holy Spirit as a distinct person in your life? And if someone said, tell me about the Holy Spirit, how do you experience him? What would our answer be? I hope at the end of the series you have a better answer, but I'd like to hear yours tonight in a little bit. The third reason we're doing this series is because I believe, and this is going to be the theme of the series, some of the series that we do are much more to resolve some sort of intellectual problem in our mind that is preventing us from having a vibrant faith. Sometimes our series are meant to resolve something that would push you forward or give you information about something you might not know too much about. This series, I think, has to be intensely personal and have intense application because to talk about the Holy Spirit in a stale way would miss the whole point. Uh, I believe that the reason we're doing this series, if I could just pick one off of the screen, would be this one. Because the Holy Spirit gives us direct access to the power of God. And most of us are living life relying on our own power. I think we want more. We have difficulty understanding how to do that. So that's why we're doing this series. But let me be clear about one thing. Because this is, could be a very large topic, and it could quickly devolve into things that are not going to be personal, that are not going to be about the power of God in your life and how you can access that power. Let me tell you what we're not covering, okay? Just so that we kind of can set the table for the next few weeks. This is some of the stuff we're not covering. We are not covering how to understand the Trinity. One of the reasons for that is because we've already covered it. So if you miss this talk, we spent five or six weeks just trying to understand how it is that we can comprehend the triune God, that's on our website. Go check it out. Here's something else we're not covering. We're not covering the subject of spiritual gifts, the gifts of the Spirit. Why? Because we've already covered it. We did a whole series just about the spiritual gifts, how to understand them. 
some of the debate about them and how to identify them in your own life and what it means to have a spiritual gift. Here's something else we're not doing. We're not going to devolve into a discussion about how the Spirit leads us and how we figure out God's will. Again, you could say it with me, because we've already done that series. And there's at least eight podcasts that you could download on that topic on our website uh, that are probably among our most popular. And finally, something else we're not going to talk about too much is about how to hear from God, because, say it with me, we've already done that too. We did that last September, probably very much like this one, a very personal series. Now, you might look at all those things and go, what's there left to talk about? I mean, if we're going to talk about the Holy Spirit, but I'm not going to understand the Trinity or the gifts of the Spirit or how he tells me what to do or how I hear from him, so what's left? And that's why I really say that this series is personal. And it's about power. Because what is missing in all of our discussions to date is a real expression of how your life can be empowered by God. Some of you are immediately skeptical when I say those words. That's why you're here. And Exodus, you're allowed to just raise your hand and go, I don't know, that's, that doesn't sound right to me, and you can do that. Today I expect probably a little bit less of that because I'm going to be just throwing out some things to get us started in this introduction. But yes, if you're one of those people who right now is thinking, I don't know, I think John's going Pentecostal on us or something, that's okay. Push back. That's what we're here for. I'd rather you wrestle here than just you know, go out there with no understanding at all. That's what we're not covering. Uh, this is the image I put up last week. What I mean by power. I said last week that if you see this image of a person pushing a car by the side of the road, you'd think they were in trouble. That's your first thought. They're in trouble. They're pushing their car. If I told you that the car they were pushing had a perfectly good engine and all they had to do was get in the car and get it to go, you'd think, wow, that's pretty foolish. That you have a perfectly good car, but you decide on your own ability to push it, to use your own human power when it has an engine. And that's exactly the analogy for this series. That we have access to the power of God, who's very much like that engine that could just go. And some of us don't want to access it. Some of us don't know how to access it. And I include myself in those people. This series for me is going to be highly instructive. I'm not standing up here as an expert in living in the power of the Spirit. I'm standing up here as someone who's convicted by the fact that so much of what I do is based on my own ability to push that car. And I'm so good at just relying on that and falling back on it that I've identified that in my life there are times when I don't even think to pray about something because I think, eh, I don't even know if that really is something I need to do. Or I'm hesitant to pray for things that I know I need prayer for because I figure, well, I can probably just do it. God's given me enough and there I am pushing that car. We need to be kind of more like this. There's the image of us actually driving this car. So I really believe that this is about the power of God's Spirit. That's what I want this series to be about, not some abstract idea of trying to identify. Now, we're going to have to understand some things from Scripture, and we're going to have to look deeply at what Scripture means about some points, but the purpose here is to bring more of God's power into your life so that we all stop looking so sorry by the side of the road pushing that car. Here's what we're relying on, just so that you know. Um, there's four books that I've chosen. I don't expect most of you will pick these up, but some of you might have read some of them. I want you to know that they come from a broad spectrum and in conversation with people, I've already identified two more that need to be up here that I'll probably end up picking out. 
But I want to show you the spectrum of, of belief that we're looking at for this subject. One is from A.W. Tozer. He has a collection of sermons that somebody put together about the mystery of the Holy Spirit. If you don't know Tozer, he was one of the greatest preachers of the 20th century, and he had a lot to say. He had a very deep, intimate relationship with God and wrote about it in profound terms. And as I was reading his sermons, it was really interesting to see. His book is a classic. I know that because the publisher wrote classic on the, uh, on the cover of the book. You know? So it's become one because the publisher wrote classic. All right? The second one, Embraced by the Spirit by Chuck Swindoll. Different perspective a little bit, but somebody who's been a pastor and the head of a seminary who's been preaching for 50 years and writes in this book in 2010 that I had been looking and seeing people who had this power in their life, and frankly, I realized I didn't have that, and I need to write this book to figure out what it was all about and how it is that we find it. A very honest confession by somebody who I can't say is motoring completely on their own ability, but realized that they could have had more of that power of the Spirit in their life. Robert Morris writes from more of a charismatic and a Pentecostal background, maybe. This book, The God I Never Knew. And also, some of you have read Francis Chan's book, Forgotten God. And I think that kind of captures our feeling that some of us just forget about the Holy Spirit in any of our formulations and thinking about God. So we're reading those, and I, like I said, a couple more that I might introduce to you in a couple weeks. Um, a lot of reading going on. You can pick out some of these and we can talk about them. Or, as always, I'll just read them and tell you what they say. How's that? Is that good? Do that. Let's take a break for a moment because we've been kind of going with announcements and stuff. Here's what I want you to do. Before you hear a single thing I'm going to say about the Holy Spirit today, I want you to write down what questions you have about this Holy Spirit. And I'd like, if possible, if you want to, if you feel comfortable, to read some of those out in a moment to people. So take a break, stretch. You don't have to sit in your seats. Let's just kind of breathe for a moment. There's a few snacks still in the back. And let's take about three or four minutes, five minutes. Just write down the questions that you have uh, that you would like us to cover, that you genuinely think about and wonder about or have said, I've been around and I've never had this question answered for me. And then maybe we'll take a few of them and now I'm going to read a couple scriptures to you and that's, we'll be done tonight. Anyone want to share some questions that they want to wonder out loud? Yes. Like kind of the idea, like, can the Holy Spirit be earned? So like, besides the idea that, I know we've talked about how God sometimes pulls away his presence, that we follow after him and all. So besides that idea, like that idea aside, what responsibility do we have in losing touch with the Holy Spirit if we once have it? Um, does it have to do with the strength of our walk? Okay. Anyone else want to jump? Yeah. Um, I think, um, does being filled with the Spirit mean something different than the Holy Spirit being with us? Mm, yeah. That's all over that Robert Morris book. Yes. Daniel? Uh, I wrote down, uh, the Holy Spirit is sometimes called the Spirit of Jesus in Acts. And so I wonder, does the Holy Spirit have a personality? Is it a distinct person or an extension of power from Christ? Very good question. Abby? I want to know how the Holy Spirit makes your life better or more effective. And if it does or can. Okay. Cheers. Um, mine is kind of like tips, but just is baptism of the Holy Spirit different or synonymous with just receiving it when you get saved? I almost made a slide that said what we're not covering also is baptism of the Holy Spirit, but I pulled it. And here's why. There is a genuine question among the churches about whether there is a second baptism of the Holy Spirit that is needed to infuse people. So to make it clear, 
most people believe that there's a water baptism where you publicly proclaim your belief in Christ. All are unified on this. All are unified on the idea that when you become a believer, you're indwelled by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit comes to indwell you, and we will cover those verses at some point later. But what is not agreed upon by all the churches is what has come to be known as the charismatic or Pentecostal view, which is that you need to pray for a second blessing or a second baptism of the Holy Spirit, which is separate. I would say the majority of churches do not agree with that. And those who, of course, focus more on the power of the Holy Spirit in a Pentecostal way believe in that. And we might look at the verses that show one way or another. There's not too many of them. So we can actually do that. We're just not going to do it tonight. But I just want to let you know that that will be an issue that will come up. So I'm glad that you have it. I almost said it's just out of bounds, but I figured we can spend a few moments looking at those verses a little bit later. A way to think about it now is whether you need that or not, we still need to talk about what is kind of Abby's question, which is what good is the Holy Spirit? Maybe that's the paraphrase of what you said, right? But, but is there really any additional power that comes from the Spirit? Let's describe that. And I've already heard people struggling with the Holy Spirit. Is he, is he a he a he? Is he an it? Is he separate? How is he going to go on? And we have to talk about that next week as we start to look into the person of the Holy Spirit. Let's talk about this power for a moment. What kind of power am I talking about? It's easy in this analogy that I have to picture the engine being the power. You know, you could think, well, I can definitely tell the difference between somebody who's pushing their car just because they feel like it, even though it runs fine, versus somebody who just puts the key in and ignites the engine and gets going. All right, you can say there's a difference. What's the difference? Well, there's that engine. That's the difference. There's a lot of power in that engine. Can we see that power in the scriptures? And I'm just going to kind of introduce the concept of that power because it's Jesus that told his disciples to look for that power. Why it is that I'm going to keep using that word over and over because it's the word that comes from scripture to describe what we're to look for. So let me start here in Acts 1, starting in verse 3. This is the account in Acts of Jesus' last days with the disciples before his ascension. It says this, after his suffering, he presented himself to them and gave them many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait. Wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Then they gathered around him and asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom of Israel? He said to them, it is not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. After he said this, he was taken up before their very eyes, and a cloud hid him from their sight. The word we're clearly focusing on is power. One author kind of said it this way, many of us think the last words that Jesus spoke on earth were go. Actually, in light of Luke's account in Acts, it's possible that the last words he really spoke on earth were wait. Wait. Wait for the gift my father promised. 
And when you receive that power, when you receive that power, then you're going to be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. It was important to him that they wait for this power. Why? You know, when we start looking at this, it seems especially strange from the disciples' perspective. They've been with him for three years. A little earlier in John, he's announcing that it's better that I go and then I send the counselor to you. It just doesn't make sense to any of us, but it would make even less sense to the disciples who'd been with them for three years. Imagine saying the people that you've been with training for three years, who have become these friends that are so close to you. They're still wanting more of him, and he's saying, it's better that I go away and send the counselor, send the helper, send the Holy Spirit. And most of them, maybe all of them would be saying, it's not better, it's just not better. I know you probably think you know more, but it's just not better. How about if we told you what we think is better? We think it's better that you just stay here with us. I think today, even right now, most of us would probably be thinking, I would rather have Jesus in my midst here than try to understand how it's better than I have the Holy Spirit. And I think that just highlights how little we understand the Spirit. How little we understand the power of the Spirit that we would think, yeah, the Holy Spirit and I say this with respect, but just to make a point, seems like a consolation prize to us. <laughs> if we can't have Jesus, okay, I guess we'll take the Spirit. But I think if I asked you, would you rather that I say that you have the power of the Holy Spirit in you, or Jesus is actually going to be with us in this room, and he is going to be the one that leads us, I think most of us would take Jesus. So I'm hoping, again, that if we take Jesus at his word as the one who knows what's best for us, who's described as the creator of all things, that if we believe him, he's not just trying to brush off the disciples. Hey, leave me alone. You know, it's better you get that other guy. He's actually saying it's better, but we don't believe him. Neither do the disciples. And he's saying, yes, if you read the end of Matthew, go, go to the ends of the earth. Here, go. But before you go, wait. Wait for this power. Why? How do we see the evidence of that power? What does it look like in action to have this kind of power? Maybe if you're going to ask yourself a personal question, here it is. What does the power of the Holy Spirit look like in your life? Anyone want to answer that right now? Does anyone have an answer that they want to say, like, I feel that I could respond and say, the power of the Holy Spirit looks like this in my life. Anyone want to throw it out? Yes? I see, like, a lot of times in my own life, um, my own rational decision-making um, based on the logic that I have, and I call it like the power of the Holy Spirit based on basically me just making decisions. And so I think I wrestle with this because the power of the Holy Spirit doesn't look any different than just my walk with God or like what I would consider the way that I come about like decisions or conclusions or things like that. Okay. Morgan? The power of the Holy Spirit, one of the things God working to give you a conviction of sin, actually knowing, I think it's difficult. I think we have no idea what we do a lot of the times, or our internal workings. There are other voices in my head as well, you know, in your attempt when you feel guilty for things that aren't going on, or I mean, you can fall into people pleasing. There's all kinds of things, but one of the roles of the Holy Spirit is to lead us into all truth. And so, yes, it can be very difficult to discern, so I'm not saying it's not, but 
if we believe that the Holy Spirit actually does that, and the power of the Spirit is to actually even reveal the truth about ourselves, both good things and bad things. And okay. Mike? I don't know. I guess for me, it's sort of what makes it more difficult to talk about how it's present in my life, and it seems like the more untangible, mystical, like, stuff that people think is weird or whatever, but, like, and I'm not talking about spiritual gifts, but praying if I ever, like, start speaking in tongues or whatever. Like, one time I was talking to someone, and we're having a really good spiritual debate, and I'm just like, I, I want to do something, and I don't know what, and this verse pops into my head, and I have no idea what it is, and I just feel led to read it, and it's exactly what they need to hear, or, like, every time I actually feel the presence of God, which is also hard to explain to somebody, because you kind of can't, but... Like, it is a physical thing, like, to feel the presence of God or His love or that, like, I don't know, that closeness and that kind of spark inside, I guess, when I spend time with God, to me, is also, like, aspects of the Holy Spirit besides the more kind of rational things, I guess. Okay. Yes, Catherine. In my life, I've noticed that the Holy Spirit's very much the author of my creativity um, in really any aspect of the word. Um... Because I think creativity, I mean, first off, you're creating something. So that's kind of like we were creations by God to create. And so I feel like we get back to like kind of our roots when we create something. Um, I mean, be that a sermon or a piece of artwork or a piece of music or learning an instrument. Um, and so I've just noticed that art brings a lot of, um, or like creativity just brings a lot of order to my life, um, just being like a musician, artist. And um, when I realized that I'm, it's not about me, that I'm one part of a really big picture, um, then it's like you want to work your hardest to make sure that whatever part I am, I want to do really well. And that really opens me up to, um, to the spirit to say, hey, like, this is bigger than me, I know that. So I really need your help. And to just trust that and then, like, keep going and do your best, like, Whatever you commit to the Lord, it's not you're not going to be let down. Um, and so that's just kind of where I've noticed in my life, just like recently creating music. Um, it's It's been a real blessing, um, even if it's not like always the best. It's, it's the fact that I'm creating, I think, that makes the Lord really happy. And then the Spirit works through that. Okay. Peter? I think uh, <clears throat> for me, it seems to either center around prayer or worship. So like when, if I'm, you know, singing on a Sunday morning somewhere, you know, there's this sense of connection or resonating with the music or, you know, the words I'm saying. Although the, like, labeler slash theologian me wants to get like, well, is that the Father's presence? But, you know, like, so so there's that, which I think is spirit worldly. And then there's, um, I think, I always think of the verse, uh, the spirit helps us for we don't know how to pray, you know. Um, and sometimes I'll kind of feel, you know, um, I'll be, you know, I'll see a friend and I'll be like, oh, I think I'm supposed to pray for them. And I've been, like, more less and less hesitant about jumping on that when I feel like I should. And then also, too, like the words or content of it sometimes, you know, not necessarily to the extent of tongues for me, uh, but I think like, you know, oh yeah, I think maybe they're, you know, sensitive about this or, you know, they're, you know, my mom, like her, her, you know, my sister just left for school and my mom's feeling like empty nest syndrome, you know, like that sort of thing that's like also could be informed by my own subconscious, but I feel like the, the timeliness of it, you know, I think, that's where I go. I, partially because of that verse, but that almost kind of gives a name for what I experienced. Okay. Yes, Daniel. Um, I've experienced the Spirit most powerfully, I think, in dramatic changes of attitude. 
um, either when I am talking to somebody about God and my mindset will change, almost become impassioned, and I will, I'll say whatever, what, what I think the truth is that comes to me. And, and, and a lot of those times I won't remember what I said after that, um, but they will have been helped. And so that manifests as, as knowledge uh, that, I, that I wouldn't have had before, or even courage to declare the truth. Because sometimes I can be afraid, like, well, what, what if that's not what they think is true, or what if they reject me? Um, but there have been very real times where that fear has been obliterated without, without me trying to muster up courage to be able to declare, no, this is the truth about God. Um, it's been powerful. Yes, Chris. I feel like to answer that question, it, for me, it, it's knowledge, right? So um, I may not understand something or may be struggling with an issue and when I see knowledge as sort of like the cliche is power, right? And that for me is very advantageous in all aspects of my life. So I feel like for me, the Holy Spirit brings knowledge. I was actually just gonna add to that too. Like I think when I'm reading the Bible sometimes, not to take away from doing proper study and understanding context and all that, but sometimes I'll just see God's character kind of revealed to me, or I'll make connections, or just feel this deep like love, like wow, that's amazing, and it like really resonates, and I feel like that can be very spirit-led as well. Okay, Joseph? I feel like for the repentance, really my energy source for kind of pushing forward to do what, mm-hmm. what I know God wants for you to do, what I know God has for you. Okay, Shannon? Um, with me, mostly, like, I'll be, like, doing certain things and all of a sudden, like, I'll get, have, like, worship songs in my head, and sometimes it relates to what I'm going through, or sometimes it doesn't, or, um, I just seen it in, like, seeing the Holy Spirit in other people, um, or just knowing when somebody is, um, is going through something and I can see it in them, and then I know that they need prayer, like, I can just feel the Holy Spirit working me at, at times and knowing... Uh, what people are going through and how I can help them. Okay, Jess? Along the same lines as uh, Joseph said, I I think maybe the power of the Holy Spirit, I experienced that power as a, a driving force and just um, this source of my perseverance to stay engaging in the journey and seeking, trying to find more. Many of the things that you said are going to be discussed and you're going to see verses and you're going to see an understanding of it. Some of you I can tell are struggling with, was well, that God, like the triune God, is that the role of the spirit because they do have distinct roles? How do we understand it? But you are talking about the very thing that people observe and talk about. You know, when I thought about this question, there are times in my life where I can definitely see the spirit in a personal way. I'm not going to talk about those right now because I wanted to tell you something that you should know that the spirit works in this group in a collective way. Soren and I were talking about this earlier today. You know, there are many times when I am studying and preparing to discuss with you different things. And the first thing that comes up is as I'm trying to think of a way to explain something in a way that's going to stick and is going to make sense, I'll come up with a word picture, an analogy, some sort of illustration that I want to use, some sort of insight into the scriptures, and I feel like I'm developing that and I will present it. And I can tell sometimes because it seems to resonate more than just something that I would have thought on my own. I can see it on people's faces. It seems to stick more. And I think there might be some evidence 
that that comes from the Spirit. But here's the real evidence for me. More than once, as I've been reading and reading and reading other books, I will come across that very same example in somebody else's book. I've heard it in somebody else's sermon. I told Soren earlier today that in one case it was so exact that I thought they lifted it right out of one of our podcasts and I checked the publication date of the book because I thought, no way. They totally lifted this and it was written eight years before we had done our talk. And it confirmed in me the idea that we do have a God who indwells the entire church of the Spirit and is speaking the same thing to different people. And there's the evidence of it. Because I know I searched my brain, I racked my brain, did I hear this somewhere? Is it subconscious? Is it coming from somewhere else? And the answer was, I'd never heard this. I know I hadn't. And when I saw it, not just in mention, but in exact detail, I thought, there's evidence of the Spirit. There's other times when as we study a subject like this, and I start reading books and reading books, I actually develop my own thinking about stuff, and then I'm mortified. Because I realized four years ago, we talked about that subject, and I thought, oh my God, what did I say back then? Because I didn't even know this subject that well. And I go back, and miraculously, somehow things that I haven't learned yet were present in a response to a question, or something more importantly that one of you said. That's evidence almost like recorded in, in an electronic format that the spirit was at work. Because I know as I go back in horror, I don't think I knew that back then. In fact, I'm pretty sure I didn't. The reason I'm panicking is because I'm going back to find out what happened. What did I actually say? I must have said something totally stupid. And there it is. Or your questions, your comments. I mean, you know, we're going to read four, five, six books for this. I, you know, what are we able to package into a night? I come in here thinking I know what we should be talking about, and one of you will trigger something that will send the whole conversation in a different direction. And later, months later, when we're editing these talks and put them up on our site, I realize, I can hear it in the discussion, that that question, that comment, was the spirit moving us in the direction we should have gone. It's there, collectively. If you don't think the Holy Spirit works in groups, you haven't read the book of Acts. Because the book of Acts is all about the spirit working through deliberation and in groups and in the wrestling. And that's why I like this group. Because we get to be one of the rare expressions of the church where people get together to deliberate together. All right, let me read you some scripture to show you the power I'm talking about. I want you to go back with me for a second. And I want you to look at the life of Peter. I want you to remember Peter, who was standing in the trial of Jesus, denying him. I put up the verses there from Mark 14, where they say to him, like, before he's about to deny Christ for the third time, they say, surely you're one of them. You're a Galilean. I mean, why else would you be at the trial of this guy? You must be one of the disciples. And he says, he began to call down curses, and he swore to them, I don't know this man you're talking about. Why was Peter so intimidated? Because Jesus was on trial. But it isn't really about Jesus. He was worried that he was next. Because he was associated with Jesus that that trial that was going on in front of the Sanhedrin, they were going to call him in. That when they accuse him, they go, you're one of them. You're one of them. Just like your master deserves, you deserve the same thing. You're one of his disciples. And he denies him. We know that that's the failure of failures that Peter has, where he's denying the Lord three times. 
Now contrast that with Peter in the book of Acts. This is the power we're talking about. It's a power that enables us. You could call it the enabling power. In fact, that's really the best definition we have of that word that we translate power. It's an ability to do something that's given to us by God. It's an enabling power to do the thing we're supposed to do. After Pentecost, after the Spirit descends, after Jesus says, wait, wait for the Spirit to come. And after the Spirit comes, look at the difference. It says, then Peter stood up with the eleven. He raised his voice and addressed the crowd. Fellow Jews and all of you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. And he goes on to explain. I'm going to spare you all the long explanation. But he concludes it this way. God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. With many other words he warned them and he pleaded with them, save yourselves from this corrupt generation. Those who accepted his message were baptized and about 3,000 of them were added to their number that day. You talked about courage and knowledge. And one of the things that happens here in this story after Pentecost with Peter is you see cowardly and afraid to really step in. Versus this intense courage that he has to be the spokesperson. Think about the powwow that's going on in the background. Think about what's going on there. You're thinking, hmm, which one of us should be the person that stands up to publicly proclaim this? Maybe we should pick Peter, the guy who's already denied him three times, who showed his cowardice. Oh, yeah, and is probably the most strong-headed and the most simple-minded of all of us in this regard. Let's pick him to give the first sermon at the first Harvest Crusade in Jerusalem, right? Let's pick that guy <laughs> to do it. That's exactly who he picked. Why? Because the Spirit of the Lord is upon him and the power of the Lord is in him. And he stands to give this eloquent explanation of who Jesus is. And the response is amazing. But forget the response. People always focus on that. I mean, that is the power of the Spirit at work. But it's the fact that he's able to even stand to do this. There's a change from the Peter that just, what, 50, 60 days earlier? had just denied him at the trial. I'm going to read you some more scripture. This is also the book of Acts in chapter 4. Later, there's a healing. And now the whole city is astir in Acts 3 because of this healing. And so the same people that put Jesus on trial are now bringing Peter and John on trial. Look at the marked difference in them from the time that he was cowardly outside denying the Lord, when he wasn't even the one on trial, to now he is on trial by the same people. It says, the priests and the captain of the temple guard and the Sadducees came up to Peter and John while they were speaking to the people. They were greatly disturbed because the apostles were teaching the people, proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection of the dead. They seized Peter and John, and because it was evening, they put them in jail until the next day. But many who heard the message believed. So the number of men who believed grew to about 5,000. The next day, the rulers, the elders, and the teachers of the law met in Jerusalem. Annas, the high priest, was there, and so was Caiaphas. Anybody remember Caiaphas? He was the guy that was presiding over the trial of Jesus. John, Alexander, and others of the high priest's family. They had Peter and John brought before them, and they began to question them. By what power or name did you do this? Do you remember when they would ask Jesus the same question? By what authority do you do these things? Isn't this headed exactly the same direction in Peter's mind? I mean, we know how the story ends, but he doesn't because he's standing on trial before the same people who crucified his Lord. 
Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers and elders of the people, if we are being called to account today for an act of kindness shown to a man who was lame and are being asked how he was healed, then know this, you and all the people of Israel, it is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead, that this man stands before you healed. Where did he get that from? It says right there, filled with the Holy Spirit. That's the difference we're looking for in our life. Moving from a place where we're just kind of doing it on our own to a place where we're infused with enough of all the things that you mentioned to be able to withstand this kind of position. He goes on to even cite from Scripture and remind them from the Psalms. Jesus is the stone you builders rejected, which has become the cornerstone. Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. We get those words. Sure, we know those words. He's sentencing himself to blasphemy by saying these words. He's saying that there's no one under heaven and earth that should be saved except by the name of whom? Jesus. But these words relate to God. And he's standing in front of the people that had convicted Jesus for the same words and saying them right back to them. When they saw the what? The courage of Peter and John and realized that they were unschooled. Courage. Knowledge. Ordinary men. They were astonished and they took note that these men had been with Jesus. But since they could see the man who had been healed standing there with them, there was nothing they could say. So they ordered them to withdraw from the Sanhedrin and then conferred together. What are we going to do with these men? Everyone living in Jerusalem knows they have performed a notable sign and we cannot deny it. But to stop this thing from spreading any further among the people, we must warn them to speak no longer to anyone in his name. If you're not tracking with the legal sense of this story, at this point, they're deciding to say, hey, guys, look, basically, we could issue the death penalty for what you've said. But we're going to let you off by just saying, just don't do it again. Uh, I know a lot of people that would take that and say, absolutely. Okay. And they're thinking, like, God wants me to go now to that other next city. So out of Jerusalem, what was the next city he mentioned? Okay, we're going there. Right? Because he wanted us to go to the ends of the earth. Let's just go now. You know, start there. Work our way backwards. But that's not what they said. So they called them in again and commanded them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. That's like a slap on the wrist for what they had said. But Peter and John replied, which is right in God's eyes, to listen to you or to him? You be the judges. As for us, we cannot help speaking about what we have seen and heard. After further threats, they let them go. They could not decide how to punish them because all the people were praising God for what had happened. For the man who was miraculously healed was over 40 years old. Do you see the difference in Peter between these two events? And the scripture doesn't leave us guessing at all as to why. It says the difference between cowardly, strong-headed, simple-minded Peter to bold proclaimer of truth with courage that he could not summon on his own is the power of the Holy Spirit. In this introduction, I'm just hoping to entice you enough to say, I want that. Some of you might say, I already have that. And that's great. I want to learn from you. That's why it's interactive. You're going to talk to me. But some of us are even skeptical, and I am sometimes when I'm reading thinking, hmm, 
But I do know one thing. I want that. You can read the story further in Acts 5. They go on preaching. And the council actually brings them back. And says, we told you to stop this. So they put them in prison. Of course, what happens? The earthquake comes. They escape from prison. And the next day when they go out and say, let's bring them back from prison. And now we can give them the punishment. They're like, uh, those guys are out in the temple preaching. And the people are infuriated because they can't prevent them from speaking. I want that kind of power. I want that kind of enabling power in my life so I don't feel like I'm pushing the car. I want the kind of power where I feel like everything that I'm doing as it relates to God's purposes, which should be everything in my life, is not solely done with my own hands and my own strengths. I mean, God gave me those things too. But I want that difference. If you do, then join me as we keep going. Next week, we'll start talking about the person of the Holy Spirit and trying to understand better how it is that we develop a relationship with a person who is part of God as opposed to a thing or an it. Let's leave it there and let's pray and ask the Holy Spirit's illumination on this series. Lord, I confess that I already lack courage because I'm afraid of some of the things that we might discover in this series. Not only about where we are now, but also about the things that you would ask us to do and the power that's available to us. I also confess that I lack courage because I know that in these places, Lord, you look for people who are completely committed in every way, not people who are just going to try it out. That while your grace and your salvation is freely available and we have that, it seems that you ask more as we step into the power of your spirit. So Lord, grant us understanding, not just for our minds, Lord, because this, this series is about our hearts. So Lord, you are the spirit who dwells in each one of us. You are the one who speaks through this group. You are the one who gives that power. And Lord, we want more of it. I pray on behalf of every single person in this room that we might gain more of that and more of you. Pray this in your name. Amen.